fantastic job. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be here today. Oh, only a few of you are. Boy, I tell you, I am. After 14 hours in a car yesterday, I'm glad to be here today. Eh? And I'm so excited about this week, uh, not only this morning, but tonight. Uh, at 6 o'clock, we are going to ordain one of our very own uh, he, has, he was born in this church, been raised in this church. God called him from this church. Mason Polk is going to be ordained tonight. And man, <laughs> woo, man, I'm excited, Mason. Well, he's got friends with him. Uh, they're going to lead in song tonight. Uh, Mason is going to preach. And then uh, he's invited several former staff people to come and participate. So Bob Thompson's going to be here. Bob was youth pastor back in 1947. Or the late 70s, I can't remember which. And uh, Kendall Ross is going to be here. Dave Evans is going to be here. It's going to be an awesome service. So will you be here tonight at 6 as we ordain one of our very own, Mason? Man, I'm excited about that. And then on Wednesday night, uh, Josh Provo, who is missionary to Bulgaria, is going to be with us. Josh, his wife, and their kids will be here Wednesday night. Uh, they are about to go back to Bulgaria. Uh, this will be his last service before they return to the field. Uh, and we've been talking to Josh and the team in Bulgaria about partnering with them and maybe in 2019, uh, us sending a group to Bulgaria to help them on the mission field. So we're going to be exploring those possibilities, but Josh is going to be with us uh, Wednesday night. He is one of the sharpest young missionaries I've ever met. You're going to thoroughly enjoy him and his message. And then as soon as that is over, we're going to take the Lord's Supper on Wednesday night. So you don't want to miss Wednesday night. But you know what? We're right here. This is Sunday morning. And man, I'm excited. I am so glad to be home. 14 hours on the road yesterday. I dumped the family off, and the first place I came was right up here. And I just walked through this building and said, I love this place, man. I love this place. I'm glad to be here. What about you? It, see, it's kind of getting better, all right? It's getting better. Not like the guy who woke up one Sunday morning. Went down for coffee. He was still in his pajamas and his robe, and his wife was ready to go to church. She said, uh, what are you doing? It's, it's time to leave right now. Aren't you going to church? He said, nope, not going today. She said, would you give me one good reason why you're not going to church today? He said, I'll give you two. Number one, those people at that church don't like me. Number two, I really don't care much for them either. And in disgust, she said, you are too going to church, and I'll give you three reasons why you're going to church. Number one, the Bible tells us to go to church. Number two, it's the right thing to do. And number three, you tell me, if you don't go to church, who in the world is going to preach? Think about that, huh? I am so happy that Miss Angie didn't have to make me to get up and go to church today. I, I'm glad to be here. How about you? Yeah. There you go. Now we're going. Take your Bible, the Holy Word of God. Here at Kavanaugh Church, we believe in the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. It can change people's lives. And, and we, don't, we don't trust the Word of God because we're simple-minded. We trust it through faith. We believe what it tells us about the great doctrines and about salvation, but we also believe it when it tells us stories of miracles. And we believe it by faith. 
especially this story we're about to read in John's Gospel, chapter 11. Let me just read two verses to you as you're turning there. John chapter 11. Uh, Two years ago, I preached uh, through the miracles that Jesus performed in the Gospel of John. And we came to this miracle in John chapter 11. And I spent two weeks preaching. Do you all like the way I use my fingers to count? Two weeks. Anybody getting that? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? We spent two weeks on... You Oklahoma people are terrible. Anyway, we spent two weeks talking about this miracle. I'm going to do it in in just one sermon today and just read two verses. John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, speaking to Martha, here's what he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? (laughs) Do you? I do. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, you would help our unbelief. And dear Lord, as I try to speak on the outside, would you speak on the inside? Fill this place with your Holy Spirit and your presence. And I pray that you would just speak to us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I love Easter. Man, I love Easter. Next Sunday is Easter, and I love Easter. It is the ultimate day of rejoicing. We join in jubilation. Next week, I'm going to say to you, He is risen! And you're going to say in response, See, you know it already. So let me do it. Let's practice right now. He is risen! risen Amen. Isn't that great? Woo! Boy, it makes you want to shout. It's a day of rejoicing. But to get from today to next Sunday, we've got to go through Friday. Now, we call Friday Good Friday. And ultimately, it's good for us. But let me tell you, it was a terrible day for Jesus. And when I think about Good Friday, my heart sinks. It is our remembrance of the ultimate day of despair when sin colored our world and all hope seemed to be lost. I wonder, you know, has that ever been an emotion that you felt? It felt like all hope was lost? Sometimes life deals us that card and it seems like all hope is lost. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had a day like that? A week like that, a month, maybe a year. Some of you are working on a life. (laughs) You feel like all hope is lost. Are you with me? This past Wednesday, I had one of those moments when it seemed like all hope was lost. Last Wednesday was uh, spring break, and and, uh, my son, Zane, is a senior in high school, and Angie told him, without consulting me, Angie told him, Zane, whatever you want to do for spring break, Dad and I will try to make it happen. If you want to go someplace special, we'll, we'll try to do it. Uh, the girls are gone. It's just you. Whatever you want to do. Instantly, he said, I want to go snow skiing. I, I want to go to Pagosa Springs, and I want to ski Wolf Creek. And so Angie and I talked about it. We said, okay, let's, let's just do that. Let's take a little family vacation. Uh, the three of us will take Zane. And, and, and he said, you know, he won't like that. We, we need to let him bring a friend. And I said, okay. So, uh, Zane, you can bring anybody you want to with you. He chose Sarah Beth, his girlfriend, all right? So uh, there wasn't anything wrong with that. So, so the four of us went out to uh, Pagosa, and, and uh, that's a place that we've gone snow skiing before. In fact, it was 10 years ago that we went there for the first time, and this makes the fourth time that our family has been. Uh, Angie has turned into a little ski bunny. 
she, man, she just skis and she looks so good going down the mountain. All three of my kids, they, they are proficient in skiing and Zane just gets better every year. Sarah Beth's never been snow skiing and uh, we were going to put her in a snow skiing school the first day, but Oklahoma people were there. They had spring break too and so the, the, the mountain was full and the ski schools were full. So we gave her the uh, Harmon instruction in snow skiing. And uh, really, she did great. I mean, she turned into a great skier. And, uh, but on Wednesday, uh, Angie and Sarah Beth went off on this little bunny hop trail because Angie was going to teach Sarah Beth how to parallel instead of snow plow. And so they were off doing that. And Zane and I went to the top of the mountain. I remembered this, this one trail. I saw it on the map that I thought I had done like six years ago. And I told Zane, let's go down this, this, this one trail. And so we, we went and we skied down to the trail. And uh, at first, it was just kind of like a little gentle slope. It was, you know, it, it showed on the map that it was a, it was a blue, which wasn't too bad. But, but then we got to the, went down and we got to the, and it just dropped off. I mean, it just dropped off into oblivion. And I looked down on this, this trail, and it was full of moguls. Do you all know what moguls are? They're, they're these big old humps of snow. And, and you, you're supposed to navigate down through them. And, you know, I see people who are really good skiers. They can just fly down those moguls, and it's no big deal. But this was, this was straight down, and it was moguls. And I looked at Zane. Zane looked at me, and he said, what do you think, Dad? And I said, well, son, we got two options. We either take our skis off and walk back up to that easy trail, or we man up and we go down this hard one. He said, well, let's go, Pop. <laughs> Pressure was on. I had to do it then. I had to man up. And so I said, well, let's go. And he took off. I didn't see him until we got down to the end. But no, I'm saying, I've been snow skiing for 40 years. I started snow skiing when I was 16 years old. Grew up in Lubbock, Texas. It's just a hop, skip, and jump over to uh, Rio Dosa. And, and I've, I've been skiing since I was 16. I've been, I've been skiing a whole lot of times. And I'm a pretty good snow skier. I mean, I'm not bragging, but, I, you know, I can ski. But here's the kind of slopes I like. I like the real wide ones. <laughs> Those trails that are real wide. You know what I'm talking about? And smooth. I don't like moguls. I don't like that. It's not for me. I like them smooth. I do like them pretty steep because here's what I like to do. I like to go fast. If you've been in a car on a motorcycle with me, I love to go fast, man. And so here, I just like these broad, wide ones that I can go fast and bend down and get speed and fly. Woo! Man, that's fun to me. I don't like those moguls that are just, but I had to do it. And so I take off, and I'm real cautious. I'm going through the moguls, and, and I'm doing okay. I mean, I'm making it. I hadn't fallen. I'm doing okay. I guess I get a little cocky. I pick up some speed, and I make this one cut, and there's this big old huge mogul. I hit that mogul, and what does it do? It spins me around backwards. <laughs> now, this is a steep slope full of moguls, and I'm going backwards. And I'm thinking, Lord, help me. Lord Jesus, please come right now. I, but I don't fall. I'm just, I'm going down backwards. And I'm thinking, all I have to do is spin back around. I can do that. I've done that before. And so I start to spin, but I hit this big old mogul. I just went up in the air. I come back down. When I hit, I land on my back. My skis pop off. My poles fly away. And I hit so hard on the back. 
it, it knocks the breath out of me. But she ain't over with yet, baby. <laughs> because it flips me up in the air. I flip over and I come down on my right shoulder, which is my bad shoulder. And when I land on this shoulder, I hear crunch. And right then and there, I thought, all hope is lost. There's no way I'm going to get off of this mountain by myself. They're going to have to come up here with one of those little stretchers and ride me down. Let me finish the story real quick. After a long while, I was able to get up, get my skis back on, get my poles together. And you know what? My shoulder felt pretty good. That mountain did for me what my chiropractor hasn't been able to do for me. All hope was lost. Mary and Martha in this story had that sense, that, that feeling for real that all hope was lost. Their despair led to perhaps the most spectacular miracle Jesus performed in his earthly ministry. Events in John chapter 11 happened over a four-day time period. Let, let me cap it off for you. Day number one, Mary, Martha, and their brother are dear friends of Jesus. They're best friends. They love each other. Lazarus becomes sick. And he gets so sick that Mary and Martha know he is critical. And the only hope they have is for Jesus to get back and do something. So they send a messenger to Jesus who happened to be in a town a day's walk away. But as soon as the messenger left the house, Lazarus dies. He makes his way to Jesus, the messenger does, tells Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha need him pronto. But here's Jesus' response in verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God can be glorified. Day number two, the messenger, having delivered the message to Jesus, returns to Bethany. Of course, by then, Lazarus has been dead and in the grave for a day. Jesus, however, did something that's very hard for us to understand and comprehend. Verse number 6. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. So instead of immediately hightailing it back to Bethany, Jesus just hangs out for two more days. Day number 3. Jesus is silent as far as Lazarus is concerned. He seems to do absolutely nothing. Then on day four, Jesus finally arrives in Bethany. Lazarus has been in the grave how many days? Four days. Martha runs out to meet Jesus. Mary stays in the house. And here's what Martha says in verse 21. Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Later, Mary comes to meet Jesus, and all of them go together to the tomb where Lazarus was laid. Jesus commanded that the stone be rolled away. Martha says, oh, oh geez, I wouldn't do that, Jesus. He's been in the grave four days. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, 
you would see the glory of God? And so Jesus prayed, and then he calls for Lazarus to come out of the grave. Out comes Lazarus, all wrapped in his burial clothes. And Jesus says, take those grave clothes off of him and let him loose. Now, first service, they clapped when I said that. because that, That's something to clap about, man. That's the authority and the power of Jesus. Now, now we know how this story ends. But Mary, Martha, and the other disciples didn't. Before Jesus comes to town, all hope seems to be lost. So let me do a quick time out and ask you, do you know how that feels? I mean, have you ever been there? Maybe it was with your own physical health. It seemed like all hope was gone. Or maybe it was the health of a loved one. Or maybe it was your finances. Or maybe you were struggling in business. Or your marriage was failing. Or you had a rebellious child. And it felt like all hope was gone. So being the good Christian you are, you cried out to God. And you just knew that God was going to take care of everything. But instead, God seems to be silent. You cry out even harder and you pray and you, you pour your heart out to God. And, and nothing happens. There's no answer. There's no response. Been there? Hey, raise your hand if you've been there. Man, I'm raising my hand. I've been there. Maybe you need a job and, you, and you've asked God for a job but, but no job comes. Maybe you were lonely and you asked God for a relationship but, but no one showed up. Maybe you were sick and you asked God for healing but no healing came. Guys, let me tell you something. When all hope seems to be lost, there are two things that you can count on. The first thing you can count on is this, that even when it seems like all hope is gone, God is working. He's working for his glory. He's working for his glory. We might not be able to see it or we might not understand it, but God is working for his own glory. How do I know that? Well, I go back to verse number four. Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death, but it is for what? The glory of God. That the Son of God might be glorified. <laughs> wow. You see, when you go through a time when all hope is lost, be certain of this. There are some things that God cannot show us about himself without our first going through some kind of suffering. We would not have seen the glory of Christ's resurrection had we not also seen the pain of his crucifixion. Psalm 50 verse 15. God said, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Jesus is working on the timetable of his own divine mission, not on the timetable of our human expectations. So when all hope seems to be lost, understand that God is working for his glory. But number two, God is also working for our good. I see this in, in three different scenarios here. Obviously, he was working for the good of Lazarus. Because <laughs> this guy comes back from the dead. <laughs> That's pretty awesome right there. <laughs> but number two, Jesus is also working for the good of his disciples. Look, look at verse number 14. 
Then Jesus said to his disciples very plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sake that I was not there, so that you might believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So what is Jesus? Jesus real plain with his disciples. He says, guys, Lazarus is dead. They just thought he was sleeping. He says, no, he's dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Because you boys are about to see something you ain't never seen before. You know what? It was going to cause their faith to grow. Number three, Jesus is working for the good of these two sisters. You say, what could be good about what they're going through? Well, he's working for their faith. He knows that the greatest good that can come into their lives and also into our lives is for us to know how to tap in to the powerful resources of God through faith. That is, through believing. So whatever silence we may feel from God, whatever delay we may sense from Him, be certain that God is up to something. He is working for His glory, and He's working for your good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Ah, that's my sermon. But we ain't done yet. Huh? Now let me make some application to that. Four things, four strategies when it seems like all hope is lost. Are you ready for these? Will you write them down? Because I guarantee you, you're going to need them. Four strategies when all hope is lost. Number one, you need to remember that God loves you. Let me just stop right here. Everybody look at me. Everybody right now, wake up, look at me. God loves you. You need to hear that. God loves you. And when all hope seems to be lost, when your world is chaotic and falling apart, you need to remind yourself that, you know what? I am a child of God, and God loves me. It's obvious in this passage that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. In fact, it tells us that two times. Verse number 3, Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Verse number 5, now, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But Jesus' actions seem to contradict his love. I mean, you tell me, if Jesus loved Lazarus so much, why in the world did Jesus let him get sick in the first place? Or if Jesus loved him so much, why did he delay... In coming to help. I mean, that messenger was sent. You would think if Jesus really loved him, he would have hopped on his scooter and just took off. Went as quick as he could to the hospital to see him. But Jesus, no. He delayed. I mean, you tell me, if Jesus loved Lazarus so much, why didn't Jesus just heal him from a distance? Because he could do that. We saw him do it earlier in Scripture. He had the power. No, Jesus' love is seen in his response. Look at verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit. I really don't have time to exegete that right now, but you go home and study it for your own. Some translations use the word, he became angry and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And here it is. Jesus wept. 
Jesus wept. He loved Lazarus. It, it, it touched him in his spirit. It touched him in his being. He wept. But let me just tell you something. God's love for us is not a pampering love. Not at all. God's love for us is a preparing love and a perfecting love. His love does not guarantee that we are going to be shielded from problems or pain in life. In fact, just the opposite happens. The fact that we love him and he loves us does not shelter us from problems that we face or pain that we feel. Feel. So even though God is silent, And his delay seems unbearable. No matter what you are tempted to believe, you need to remember, God loves me. God loves me. Paul told us about that in Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created being shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. (laughs) Amen. So when all hope seems to be lost, number one, remember, God loves you. Number two, you need to trust that God has everything under control. It's amazing to me that the word believe is found eight times in our story. This situation calls for everyone to trust, for everyone to believe, for everyone to have faith that God is in control of this situation. Remember, the point of all of this from the very beginning was twofold. Number one, to display the glory of God. But number two, to develop the faith in the hearts of these people. And can I tell you something? Our faith does not grow if it is not exercised. And sometimes exercise hurts. It's painful. But our faith doesn't grow unless faith is exercised. From Mary and Martha's perspective, things are out of control. I mean, they're swirling out of control. And I don't know exactly how they felt, but perhaps they felt like a can being kicked down the road. You ever been there? But Jesus was working according to the Father's timetable. Jesus was orchestrating all of these events. So when all hope is lost, you just need to trust that God has everything in control. Just stop and sing that little song. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He he does, including your life and your situation. Number three, when all hope is lost, watch for what God is teaching you. Because let me tell you, God doesn't waste anything. And he's going to be teaching you something. Spiritual growth is not automatic. God deliberately takes us through circumstances in our lives where he teaches us something about who he is and who we are. Think about what Jesus is teaching Martha about who he is. Look at verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, 
If you had not been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And here's what Martha said back. I know. Do you get that? Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever believes and lives in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So Martha said, I know. I I know that truth. I know the truth of the resurrection. I know that theology. I know that doctrine. But here's what you need to understand. At this point, Martha knows a truth. But she needs to know a little bit better the giver of that truth. Are you with me? Guys, let me tell you. Doctrine is important. We believe that at Kavanaugh Church. We believe that theology is important. Doctrine is important. But knowing doctrine, knowing the Bible, without talking to or knowing the one who gave us the Bible, will only make you hopeless. Are you with me? Jesus is saying to Martha, Martha, you don't need to know another doctrine. What you need to know is me. Put it like this. When you're sick and you're throwing your guts up, you don't need a medical journal. You need a doctor. I mean, when you're being sued, you don't need a book on law. You need a lawyer, right? The answer to any life situation is not in a doctrine. It is in the giver of the doctrine, Jesus Christ. You need Jesus. Look again at verse 25. Jesus said to her, Martha, it's me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? And can I say, without exception, this is the most amazing statement that Jesus has ever made in the gospel. There are many great I am statements found in the gospel of John. Jesus has already said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. But here he is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And all you have to do is believe. And if you believe, you'll never die. (laughs) So when there seems to be no hope, just look around. See what God is teaching you. Because let me tell you, he is teaching you something. In this path, he teaches us the way of salvation. It's the way of life. It's believing in him. When all hope seems to be lost, number four, you just grab hold and cling to the promises of God. You hold on to them with everything you've got. You cling to the promises of God no matter how discouraging or how disappointing the circumstances may be. In times like this, the only thing we may have to cling to are the promises found in God's Word. So let me just stop and ask you. Listen to me. Have you come to a point in your spiritual growth and maturity where you can cling to a promise of God 
and have that promise of God sustain you through the trials of life until God does act and God does do something? Can you do that? Sometimes that's all you have is a promise. You've got to cling to the promise. Let me try to bring this to life to you. 14 hours we were in the car yesterday. I would not advise that for sane people. Or even crazy people. Don't, don't, it was way too long to be in a car. But driving through New Mexico, which is the land of enchantment, you've got plenty of time to think. Now, my family hates driving through New Mexico. They think it's the most boring thing. I love it. I mean, I love it. It's just wide open, man. There are no stinking trees to block your view. I mean, it's beautiful. It reminds me of West Texas. And I, man, I just love going through there, man. It's just, it's just awesome. My, my mind, I'll tell you what I think of. I, I look out of those plains and I'm thinking, I'm on a horse and there's a whole lot of Indians chasing me and I'm riding and I'm shooting behind me. And <laughs> I lost all of you right there. I know. But I, I, was driving, I was driving through New Mexico yesterday thinking about this sermon, thinking about this point. I was thinking about in, in my life, the times where, you know, all I had was the promise of God to cling to. And I mean, I could give you thousands of illustrations of this, but just, just one. And it has to do with stewardship. Of all things, stewardship. 1983, graduated from Hillsdale, which is now Randall. Angie and I got married. Took my first ministry position, youth pastor at uh, Enid Free Will Baptist Church. They hired me, uh, and I was full-time. And I made $75 a week. Now, granted, this is 1983. That, some of you weren't even born in 1983. But still, that was nothing. To live on $75, pretty tough to do. And, and besides all that, when I was 16 years old, I worked at Hester True Value Hardware in Lubbock, Texas. I made $74.83 a week. Now I have a college degree. <laughs> I'm making $75 a week. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I've been called. I'm not going to abandon ministry, but I'm thinking, Lord, how in the world are we going to make this? Because I'm sitting there, and I have all these bills over here, and I got my little checkbook over here, and there ain't nothing in this checkbook, and I got all these bills. I'm thinking, Lord, you called me to ministry. How in the world am I going to minister to people when I've been thrown into prison for not paying my bills? <laughs> but let me tell you what happened. My mom and dad taught me from a very... They didn't believe in child labor laws back then. I had my first job when I was 10 years old. <laughs> Paper route. I had to buy my own food. I had to buy my own shoes. I had to buy my own <laughs> It wasn't quite that bad. But they, they did make us work, man. And, and you know what? From the very get-go, my mom and dad taught me the first thing you do with your paycheck is you take 10% out of that paycheck and you put it in the offering on Sunday morning because that belongs to God. And they not only taught me that, but they showed me from the word of God, son, if you do this, God is going to bless you. He's going to take care of everything you need. You tithe, God takes care of. That is a promise from the word of God. And so when I was living in Enid with my new bride in 1983, we were making $75 a week and we didn't have enough money to pay our bills. You know what I clung to? The promise of God. And every week... The first $7.50, <laughs> it 
That sounds horrible. Actually, we bumped it up to 10 bucks. Went back to God. You guys, let me tell you, it is amazing. Thinking about, I, I was, that's what I did. I thought back of how God took care of us that first summer. We got married in May of 1983, and, and it, it just, it was amazing. I would get phone calls all the time. Hey, Will, we need you to come preach over here. Come preach at this youth camp or come preach at this revival. And just when we needed it the most, God would provide. Sometimes we would open the door of that house on Randolph Street, and there would be a pile of groceries right there. I would walk out of the building sometimes at church, and one of the blessed members would come by and stick a $10 bill in my hand or a $20 bill and said, hey, Will, God just told me to give this to you. I'm telling you, guys, you cling to the promise of God, and he'll take care of you. And when that's all you got, you hang on to it, man. One other just real quick illustration. I was saved when I was six years old. Westside Free Will Baptist Church, Midland, Texas. You heard me say this a hundred times. We, we said, uh, was we second pew or third pew back? There was two, two rows, shotgun church. What were we? Y'all remember second, third? Y'all, wake up, Dad. We were the third pew back. <laughs> Just, that is paying him back for what he did to me in church. I mean, listen, when, when I got rowdy, we didn't have kids' church back then. When I got rowdy, he would reach over and grab my earlobe and yank it, and it would pop. <laughs> Mom did it one Sunday. And it, I said, ow! <laughs> I think Brother Zeller stopped right then, and he looked down at me and said, boy, you shouldn't be quiet. <laughs> anyway, it was a Sunday night. We were third row back on this side. <coughs> Brother Zeller's preached his hour and a half sermon. They were all an hour and a half long. It was on hell. <laughs> and he lifted the lid of hell, and I felt it, third row back. The flames just leaped out. So when he gave that invitation, I ran down, and I invited Jesus into my heart. Six years old. Six years old. Guys, I cannot tell you the hundreds of times since then, the devil has come to me and said, God didn't really save you. You weren't really saved when you were six years old. That's just a faded memory you have. Or I messed up and I tripped and I committed a sin. He would come back to me and say, you know, dude, God's never going to forgive you of that. You're not a Christian living like that. You, Christians don't do stuff like that. You, you never were saved from the beginning. But you know what I have? I have the promise of God. That if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, he's forgiven me. And you would think the devil would finally leave me alone. I'm just a dried up old man. But no, he still comes. Tries to cause me to doubt my salvation. But Mason, when he does, I just pull down that promise I've clung to all these years. And I say, devil, leave me alone. I know I was saved. I have the promise of God. Jesus asked in verse 26, do you believe this? Martha, do you believe? And again, this is the point of this whole event. Jesus prayed in verse 42, Lord, I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I say this, that they may believe that you sent me. That they may believe you sent me. Lord, I'm saying this so that they may believe that you sent me. That's the point of this whole miracle. That we believe in the promise of God. 
Well, the climax of this story is in verse 43. When Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! <laughs> and he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. <laughs> Can I tell you something? When Jesus speaks, stuff happens. I'm reminded of what this old, old preacher said about this. He said in his sermon, why did Jesus mention Lazarus specifically by name? He said, church, I'll tell you. Because if he had not called Lazarus by name, every dead person in that cemetery would have come forth. There's power. There's power in the words of Jesus. And so what happens? Lazarus came out. Life returns to his body. And suddenly, when I, when I read this, when I think about this, I think of living pictures years ago when we used to do this. And, and, and Lazarus would come out of that grave. And there he would be standing. This figure appears in the door of the tomb. Grave clothes still wrapped around him in white. A, a napkin around his head, stumbling and staggering. What, what a sight! What a sight. It's a good thing that didn't happen at night. <laughs> All these people would have been out of their lickety split, wouldn't they? Church, what I'm trying to say is this. You can trust God because he has the power to back up his promises. A lot of times we make promises that we can't keep, but not so with our God. And all you have to do is cling to that promise Here's the promise Jesus makes. If you believe, if you believe that I am the resurrection and the life, though you die and you will die, you're going to live on. That's a promise. J Jesus made that promise right there. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes and lives in me will never die. And so I ask you what Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe do you believe? If you don't, then you need to today. Trust God. What do you do when all hope is gone? <laughs> well, you just come to Jesus. You come to Jesus. and He's here today. And if you come to him, he is going to dispense to you exactly what you 